welcome back, Calm listeners. This is Methodical Millions, where you can better your future and better yourself. Cal, let's welcome another awesome guest today. Everyone listening, say hi to Phil Rivers. Phil, how's it going? And what gets you excited about life? My family and I guess making money, but through the lens of helping other people make more money than they pay me to make it. Right on. And was that a slow discovery process or did it always make sense to you? How did that journey look like? I think it was definitely a process for sure. Just part of like the maturation of growing up, becoming a boy, turning into a man and sort of that journey, you know, like thinking back when I was younger, it was much more sort of like self-serving or selfish, you know, and then I don't know, man, I think it's just as I grew up, perspective changes and what's important changes and kind of realize that it's not about me, but more so like, you know, I have a particular set of skills and how can I help people advance whatever their sort of goals, missions are through my zone of genius. Real way to look at it, Phil, and working in automotive, I said this before in our previous episodes is that to me, I always wanted to make sure that when I was in sales to give the customer the best service they can, being the most knowledgeable I can be. And it actually made me stand out compared to others, but that was more for me to feel more fulfilled for those customers that I really gave them what they wanted, right? So the satisfaction behind that was more than the monetary aspect of it, although that does come as a secondary advantage that comes after it. If you're good at what you do, the money kind of comes in after that. So how did it start with you in the sense of what field did you get into and when did you realize that in your field of expertise? Good question. So I've been in e-com since 2008. And at the time, there was none of the cool stuff we have now. So I designed these t-shirts that coincided with the releases of Nikes and I sold them in message boards. And I just got good at sort of building a list or an audience and communicating with them and monetizing over time. And as a result, all the businesses that I've sort of been involved in since my initial sort of like forte in e-com has always been around how do I build an audience, communicate with audience and monetize audience. And you can fill in the blanks in terms of whatever's being sold and the sales cycle and where the transaction takes place, et cetera. And so, yeah, I've sort of just sharpened my sword on using email and SMS as a modality to acquire, nurture, and convert customers. Yeah, there's um, a lot of hype around the Instagrams and the new age apps, but what makes email and SMS so resilient? And it's not the first time I've heard it. A lot of people have gone towards things like email because of Google and Facebook's prevalence. And I heard a fact where it's like 40 cents of every dollar raised that a startup gets spent on Google and Facebook ads, which is why they have such huge valuations. And it's almost like a growth hack till it works. But then when they pull the plug or, you know, Amazon is all over the news for cross competing with Amazon basics and they have almost too much data. So is that the idea that email is kind of open source and you can kind of protect yourself? Your list is yours. Absolutely. It's first party data that you own outright and you're in control of what you can communicate to whom you communicate it to and when you communicate it to them. And you're not beholden to or or reliant on third party platforms that have algorithms that you have no control over and everything is pay to play all the time. And so I think just this day and age, especially how the platforms have changed from an organic standpoint and how expensive they can be from a CPM basis. And also when you factor in the volatility as well, it's just like one of those things that from my vantage point have to have from a sort of risk diversification or platform risk diversification standpoint. 
Yeah. So can we get into some numbers or actually let's talk about the organic thing for a second. So what's the idea behind a good amount of email clients or is it business dependent? And do you track things like open rates or you talked about monetization? What does a healthy email list look like? Yeah. So when I said organic a minute ago, I just meant on social that the organic reach that you get to your audience is less and less. And to put it in perspective, depending on your follower size on Instagram, for example, maybe only four or 5% of your audience sees any individual post. And with an email or SMS for that matter, generally open rates are like, I would say on average, if we were to look at like MailChimp or Klaviyo, 20%. And on the SMS side of things, it's in the 90%. So you have a lot more control over, or a lot more of your organic audience sees your email or your SMS messages than they do in, in organic social media post. So to answer your question, John, I think a lot of people harp on the size of their list. Overall, I think it's a vanity metric. I don't think that it matters. Every business has to start somewhere in terms of building a list and starting to communicate with them. So there's businesses that I've seen that are B2B. They have only a few hundred people on their list, but it generates them five figures every single month. And so I don't think it's about size. I think it's more so about like, what are you selling? What's the average order value or you know average card size? And the more important factor that most people sort of neglect to realize is just the consistency of communicating with the people that are on the list rather than having the most people on there. Right on. So you kind of want to have engaged email readers and SMS readers. And I guess people call it churn. You want to make sure they're not unsubscribing. And you made a good point at the beginning, which is you want to help people make money more than you're making. So you're almost in between. They can be the giants that stand on your shoulders, I suppose. But I guess it's a win-win, right? Because if you're a true value add, you're not trying to capture 100% of the value along the chain. You're kind of wanting to be useful, make your peace and grow. And you know, I always talk about adding value to the world. So what do you think about value and how do you get someone who's fresh and says, you know, Phil sounds really smart and inspiring. I'm going to start this kind of email business. And do you have to have a passion for a product? Do you have to be experienced? What's your take on that? Or can you learn the game as you go? I think you can learn the game as you go. You know, for me in particular, I don't know, I just sort of like fell into email and just was like one of those things I was good at it. I didn't necessarily have like a passion for it and was drawn to it. It's just sort of like, I don't want to say fell on my lap, but I just started to do it. And then one thing led to another. And that's not to say I didn't try other things. You know, I tried Facebook ads, I tried web design, I tried paid search and stuff. And, you know, like me doing those things, it was always like pulling teeth. I didn't enjoy it. I wasn't like really interested to learn. So I guess I always gravitated back towards doing email and SMS marketing, either for myself or companies I've consulted with. But no, I don't think you have to have the passion or like the underlying knowledge base necessarily. Like at one point, I didn't know shit. I just figured it out. I always find it takes a unique personality to push yourself to be better. And you seem to hit all those in stride. So do you have any advice for people who are trying to figure it out early and say, I'm going to try this email thing, but where do they even start? So are you consulting to grow people's email lists for their own businesses? Like, would you grow a list for a car dealership or maybe like a retail store? Or is it all B2B, like you said, where does your value add come in? How could someone try and do the same? Yeah. So my business specifically, we do like email managed services, essentially we're the agency for businesses, or we have a consultative side of the business where they have a team internally and we sort of like coach them up for lack of a better term. And so in terms of the businesses that we work with generally, because I come from the e-com world, a lot of our clients are inherently e-com just because I speak the language very well. And I know what levers to pull to help people get results quickly. But that said, 
We've worked with companies across categories, B2B, like the most boring thing we've ever sold via email is cloud hosting solutions for law firms. And our client was someone that set up these cloud hosting solutions for these firms. I think at the end of the day, John, any business has an audience of people that they're selling to, right? And every business wants more new business. And if we take a step back and think about like how humans buy, very seldom do people see an ad or see something and convert immediately. By and large, there's like a customer life cycle or a buying cycle that people have to go through, even subconsciously, to gather the data points that they need to make a decision to buy for any product or service or company or what have you. And so a lot of sales, they take place over the long tail. And that's why I think just knowing that people don't buy on day one or the first touch point. And that's why I think email and SMS is such an important modality for any business to communicate with their prospective customers, but the existing ones as well. So I guess this is a very long-winded way of saying, I don't think it matters what the underlying business sells. If someone listening is interested in potentially doing email or SMS marketing services for these brands, I think that opportunity is abundant and it's a service or value add that sometimes a lot of business owners don't necessarily realize or see. But if you think about, again, that most business is done in the long tail and most sales come in the long tail, it's something that everyone needs. And it's a matter of time until the individual sort of business owner, CEO realizes it. So again, if anyone's listening and they want to get into doing email and SMS agency or managed services or what have you, I think there's so much opportunity out there. There are a lot of products around there that obviously have different clients with different kind of products or services they want to push. And obviously you have the craft and the knowledge and the know-how of how to really push it and cater it for them and obviously maximize their capture. So how did it start in the sense of, I know you have your own business now, so were you working for a company first and then you decided to do your own thing? Or was it you started from the get-go trying to create your own business and have more of an entrepreneurial vision that way and then you just kept on going and here you are today? Yeah, so when I was in school, I started selling those t-shirts on message boards and that was just with me and a buddy. And then after I graduated in school, I moved back home to LA and I had you know jobs here and there I was a kid. At one point, I was fascinated with Wall Street, so I wanted to be in finance. At another point, I was fascinated with private equity, so I worked some like low-level, super junior job in a tangentially related field to hopefully like leapfrog into private equity. But at the end of the day, what I realized was wearing a collar and a tie isn't for me, and I have a contempt for authority, especially when authority is arbitrary. So I guess I really wasn't going to fit into that world. And so naturally, over time, I sort of just like gravitated to startups. And again, thinking back to when I was young, you know, you don't know that much about how stuff works. So I was drawn to startups by the allure of the fundraising and raising rounds and cashing out, either going public or the company selling or whatever, and sort of getting rich that way. It seldom turns out like that. And so again, like the one thing that I was doing for every business I was involved in was build an audience, communicate and drive sales. And so the last real job that I had was at a software company. Again, it was a startup at the time I was on the founding team drawn to like, oh, this could be huge. And again, very seldom does it work out like that, even though this software company in particular did have a very sizable exit, luckily. But at the time I was there, I was doing the same thing, sort of helping build this B2B platform of building an audience of potential targets, communicating with them and then driving sales with it. And so while I was there on the side, I had my own sort of like agency where I would do email, I would do web, I would do Facebook ads. And then at some point I was just like so frustrated with having the job that there was just no room to go farther. It was just kind of like stale and I knew something had to change. And so at one point I just said, screw it. I'm leaving and going to do the agency thing full time. And I sort of, I'll say spun my wheels a little bit for a while doing a bunch of different services, not really having a clear direction or a clear value proposition, which made it really difficult to sell in retrospect. So then ultimately what I did was I cut everything that I didn't like or know that well 
pretty much Facebook ads or web and leaned all the way into email. And when I did that, that's when things really started to take off. The rest is sort of history now. That just singular focus and saying no to a lot of things at that point just changed everything. Yeah, right on. And you're probably the king of e-com because you really are pre big social media apps. I know Google was around for a while. I was probably coming out of high school, maybe getting to university at the time. Facebook was just growing. So like Facebook advertising took five, seven years to mature before they turned on the monetization themselves. So you really are a ground up kind of guy. Myself, even I never considered email as like a good sales tool because I was, I guess, still young in my career, but it makes a lot of sense. It's just so direct. Is there a secret to keeping people engaged you had talked about repetitive contact. So you had mentioned MailChimp, for example. I heard they do things like, I guess they're called drip campaigns. So is there a methodology you'd recommend to a business trying to, let's say, do it in-house or just get started? Someone wants to learn how to do it on their own. To answer your question, John, I think the most important thing at a fundamental level is just being consistent. Like that's the Achilles heel that sets a really low ceiling and people being able to sort of realize like how lucrative email and SMS can be for them. And from a psychological standpoint, because I've been doing this for so long and have pitched a lot of people and sold a lot of people, I think there's a lot of limiting beliefs that people have and it keeps them from just being consistent at a very simple level. Like, oh, I don't know how to write or I don't know how to do the design or this design isn't good or whatever it may be, right? Or it's not important. I'm not going to get results, et cetera. And at the end of the day, I think that for anyone listening, let's assume that they have a business and maybe they know they should be doing email or they have some emails. At the end of the day, Really just like sending something that has perceived value to whomever you're sending it to at the end of the day is the only prerequisite you need to send a message to someone. I don't advocate for carpet bombing your audience. I don't advocating just for sending them sales messaging all the time. But if you think about it from the perspective of like this person is a prospective or existing customer, I'm going to treat them with empathy and respect. And that is the first thing that you sort of think about when you're putting pen to paper about what you want to put in front of them or what offer angle or positioning you want to share. If you lead with that and you put some good stuff out into the universe consistently, you'll reap the rewards. And I've seen it happen enough times. So yeah, man, I just think that at a fundamental level, put the limiting beliefs on the shelf. No one can talk about your product, your business better than you can. And so if you're not doing email consistently now, just think about how would you describe whatever you want to communicate to your best friend or someone you're sitting next to at the bar? Write it that way simply in plain text copy in black and white. So all of a sudden the design is not a factor anymore and just send it. It doesn't have to be every day. It doesn't have to be every week. but Again, if you're consistently sending bi-weekly, monthly in the least, it'll open up a lot of doors or a lot of opportunity to sell whatever you're selling, whether that be e-com, a B2B service, something on the phone. And obviously there's a lot of nuances and details to it based on what you're selling, but just to speak broadly to help people at a high level, just type and have empathy, respect and send consistently and you'll be amazed at what happens. Yeah, there's actually a huge movement now in the self-help mentorship Twitter space a lot of people doing things like Gumroad and getting out there. And there's a move to individualized brands and people will talk their talk. And I've subscribed to a lot of lists myself just to kind of see what it's all about. And there's a lot of good ones and they will actually not be pitching all the time. They might see the odd Twitter thing. Like, hey, you can get my course if you like this thread. It's pretty common. But yeah, so I mean, I will see newsletters about all sorts of cool stuff. So it could be crypto news or it could be about how to improve yourself and it does seem effective because if you're clicking subscribe, you have a latent want to get better at something. So I think there's a need for it. And you know, you touched upon it just a second ago, which is how much you give to the universe you get back. And can we talk about that? Because I'm into philosophy and stuff. And I think a lot of 
doing well in life and having a calm and sound mind comes from knowing who you are, being okay with it. And number two, wanting to do better in a good way. And what's up with that? Why is that so true? I don't know why it's so true, to be honest, dude. I don't know. I think it comes with sort of maturity and growing up again, like I mentioned before, when I was younger, I didn't look at the world this way. So I don't know, even now there's adults that I do business with and they approach things from a very like sort of selfish standpoint. Personally, I don't really enjoy doing business with them. But if I look at the people that I emulate or people that are ahead of me from a success standpoint in business, virtually all of them operate this way from being selfless and leading with service first and the customer or the client and the experience and putting that first because they have the sort of, I don't know if track record is the right word, but they have the sort of foresight to know and they've been around long enough to know that you operate this way. People are going to buy from you again and again and new people will consistently be attracted to you. There's this quote that Pitbull said, I'm going to butcher it. But in short, he said something about like, if you chase money, money runs. And if you make money, there will always be money or something like that. I'm butchering the second half of it. And so I've realized that like, I think the book of Mice and Men is a good sort of parallel for business. You know how Lenny, he doesn't know his strength and he ultimately kills the bunny. And I think that in business or anything for that matter, if you try and hold on too tight, you ultimately kill the thing that you're trying to love or help survive. And so I kind of approach it like that now too, where it's just like, I obviously want certain outcomes, but I can always only control so much. And I don't want to be so all over it that I kill it before I can have it. You know what I mean? Yeah, totally. There's something about trying too hard because it comes across as too, you know, I'm in sales and the first thing I tell reps is to not sell at people. You have to kind of listen and advise and, you know, you have those qualities because you know what value you can give to the world because you're the expert at it. You can find the people who need to work with you and you can pitch them. And it's not the end of the world if they say no, or I'm sure if you know, if they're not a good fit, you're not going to push it. And there's such an abundance of people in this world. And how many businesses, like you said, the most boring business. It's funny, I did the same thing when I talked to a client of mine who mentioned cloud services as well. It's just such a hidden business that probably makes billions of dollars and it's a necessity. So there's so much movement around in the world with companies and people that if you just try and open your mind and try and reach out to, I think there's connections to be made. So that's awesome. What's on the agenda? In the next six, 12 months, do you have any big projects you're working on? What are you kind of trying to grow in that space? Well, right now we're in Q4 and, you know, I come from the e-com world and a lot of our clients are e-com. So right now things are busy because, you know, we're actively bringing on new clients, but also the clients that we currently have helping them get sort of strategized and ramped up to capitalize on Black Friday, Cyber Monday and holiday. So to be honest, John, I'm not even thinking about anything past Christmas at this point. It's just like I have to put my horse blinders on. Like there's business stuff that I'm like chomping at the bit to sink my teeth into. But I've like committed to myself that nothing else matters while we're in this sort of like Black Friday, Cyber Monday, holiday, 60 day window, if that makes sense. That's one thing I've had to practice a lot is like when to say no to things or when to say not yet, because it's easy to get distracted when things are sort of out of sequence. Yeah, it makes absolute sense as well to me. And there's a tweet that you've posted just a few days ago, I came across and I wanted to mention this in the episode. So you said, building a business is cool and all, but have you ever built a business that doesn't need you to operate, which I absolutely love because something we preach a lot here. If you don't mind maybe sharing a bit of that from your perspective. Yeah, man. So, you know, admittedly, I'm not as backed out of my business as I want to be, but I'm a lot further removed from it today than I was 12 months ago. That's a huge win, a huge milestone or accomplishment that I'm happy about and proud of. 
But at the end of the day, I think that like, you know, when I first started this agency, it was just me. I was doing all the marketing, all the selling, all the fulfilling, which was great. And all at the time, my mindset was because I just left a job where I was an employee. And I always said that I don't want the responsibility of a team. I don't want the red tape as you get bigger. I don't want the overhead, all those things. And then I realized when I was doing all the marketing, all the selling, all the fulfilling that it's really hard to do everything. And essentially all that I did was create a job for myself, but it was higher pressure because the buck started and stopped with me across the board. And then so having that sort of like self-realization is when I started to bring people on to help me with the fulfillment. So I could sort of train them how I like things done and how I historically would manufacture results so that I could focus on the marketing and the selling. And now I started to back out of sales and hire and train people to help me on the sales front. And so now my core focus is really obviously ops at a high level, marketing by and large. And so again, Cal, it was sort of just my maturation, thinking that I wanted life to be a certain way, then realizing it wasn't everything it was, it seemed to be. And that sort of led me down this path to now having a team and being backed out of fulfillment, being backed out of sales, partially being backed out of marketing so that I could actually have a real business that isn't reliant 100% on me 24 7, 365. Yeah, totally. Things can run and you can make the changes. I always say it's like being a captain on a ship and you hear a sound down below and you go address it, but the ship keeps moving. There's so many moving parts, right? Exactly. So, does that mean you're a hybrid of email lists slash still? Are you still doing the e com thing on your own with products? Are you drop shipping? What does your day to day look like? Right now, I'm between e-com stores at the moment. Again, I made a commitment to myself a couple of years ago to cut everything and just focus on this business and get it to a point where it can run without me and then I can start to play in other sandboxes, which is the hardest thing for me to do because I'm an entrepreneur through and through. And so the hardest thing is to have something that's appealing and have to say, now's not the right time. And so, yeah, right now I have the agency and the consultative side of the business and I probably won't do anything else based on sort of growth trajectory and my expectations for next year until next year is when I'll get this business to the point where it can run without me entirely from a marketing sales and fulfillment standpoint. And I can sort of just oversee and then that, that'll afford me the opportunity or the ability to sort of either build or invest in another e-com store or software. But at the moment, I'm just like, I have to stay true to the commitment I made to myself two years ago. Very admirable. No, it's very admirable because people always have, even if you're like, first of all, you have to say, I want to do something. And then how many people actually go and do it? Most give up, I find. I've given up on projects throughout the years. So no, the fact that you can stay on something, grow it is just super wicked. It's so cool. I really so respect hard, that. Dude. I know. And that's the fun of it. That's why we love having people on the show because we get to learn about the mentality, the mindset, the drive, and the little tips and tricks. Like you said, it takes years to mature at something, but you can come on the show and rattle off some cool ideas or talk about some, whether it's mantras or process or things that help you. And someone listening is going to get something out of it. We get something out of it all the time. So really, really awesome. So what's your structure like now? You want to eventually have it running on its own. Do you have a bunch of employees? What does that look like? Right now, we're a team of eight, sort of like been kept intentionally small by design just because less spinning plates, less things to manage. But I know that in the next 12 months, it'll probably increase by two to three X. I guess right now I'm sort of just enjoying the size that we are knowing what's on the horizon. But yeah, man, it's been a journey for me. One of the biggest changes or differences for me, especially over the course of this last year, I've really had to lean into... I'm essentially like recruiting and selling why someone should be a part of our team all the time. 
as opposed to before, it was just like, it would be easy to find people to help out here and there, you know, like bring people on as needed. So I guess I have a lot more like my time horizon or my vision goes out longer. And so yeah, right now my marketing is sort of twofold, one marketing business to get clients, but then two marketing the business to attract the best level talent possible that I can, which is hard. It's new for me. Yeah. But you've got that as you said, the entrepreneurial thing is to learn and grow. It's almost part of the fun. As hard as it is, it's like a necessary duty. There's that mentality that there's no other option. You're going to make it. You're going to do great things. So I think one other piece of it, John, sorry to cut you off, man, just real quick. I think one piece is just like being comfortable, being uncomfortable. Because like me putting myself out there and trying to like market the business, even attracting potential hires, it's so new for me. It's uncomfortable. The easy thing to do, what most people would do is just like avoid it and either stay small or eventually close up shop because the business, quote unquote, or the processes in the business are broken. So that's like, again, going back to my commitment to myself not to get distracted by stuff and just stay focused. The other is just like be comfortable being uncomfortable because that's the only way growth is going to come. Yeah. And how do you know when you're in the thick of it that you're going in the right direction? Because being uncomfortable sucks for a lot of people, right? It's the worst, so, so it's the worst. How do you tread water and say, I'm doing the right thing? What do you look for? How do you know you hit a small success to keep going? I think I just look at like, what's the desired outcome of said thing and getting after it a little bit, you know, dipping my toe in the water and then kind of just being mindful of the results along the way and be like, is this trending in the right direction or not? And if not, taking a step back to then take two steps forward later. It's not like it works out every time. Seldom does it work out on the first swing. So it's just like accepting that this probably won't work, but I'm going to try because I'm going to learn. And then I'll go back to the drawing board once I have a little bit more data or information. Right on. So I know you got to run. It's been a pleasure. Absolute blast having you on. We have to get you back in about a year. Once you hit your milestones, we'd really love to hear your ongoing success. Really appreciate your time. So where can people find you online? And do you have any email link they can reach you at if they want to jump on board or follow you along? Absolutely, man. October 2022, we're going to make this happen to talk about the growth. In terms of finding me online, my Twitter, T-H-E, Phil Rivers, at the Phil Rivers on Twitter. And if they're interested in what we do, just check out our site. It's gotetra, G-O-T-E-T-R-A dot C-O. There's no M, gotetra.co. Check us out. And if you have any questions, shoot me a line either on Twitter or on the site and we'll connect. Awesome. Thank you once again. You're the man. Thanks a lot, gentlemen. Thanks, Phil. So with that said... Let's wrap up today's episode. Thank you for listening to another episode of Methodical Millions, where you can better your future and better yourself. Thanks, everyone.